Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. The freedoms that Americans enjoy are not free and can be attributed to the dedicated service and the blood, sweat, and tears of many generations of our nation's military. The Military Hour is dedicated to the servicemen and women, veterans, and their families that have made the sacrifice to defend our Constitution and country. Military service is being part of something that is greater than yourself. General Joseph Dunford, 19th Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And now, it's the Military Hour with your host, Chad Wood. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and uh, welcome to another Military Hour with Chad Wooten. I am your host, Chad Wooten, and uh, proud to be here, proud to be able to say that I've got, once again, another great set of guests. I'd like to throw out a, uh, a shout-out. It seems to be that we're getting a lot of listeners that are following us from Japan, South Korea, and Germany. So to all of y'all that are listening here in the U.S., uh, we appreciate you, but especially uh, if you're a service member overseas anywhere. Uh, thank you so much for your service uh, and what you're doing. I spent quite a bit of time in Japan myself. I really enjoyed it. Climb Mount Fuji, did some scuba diving off of Okinawa, and I've been through Germany a couple times inbound to uh, Iraq. And um, So really appreciate y'all taking the time to listen, and I'm hoping that you're uh, spreading the word, telling your friends, telling your family. Our main goal here is to spread the word on what's going on with veterans, veterans issues, and support the military in any way, shape, or form. As a veteran myself, I can't speak highly enough about the men and women that stand up in an all-volunteer force and are willing to sacrifice everything they have for their country, for their family, and for anything other than themselves, because selfless sacrifice is one of the staples of military service, and not just the U.S. military but militaries around the world. And this past weekend, I was I was incredibly fortunate. I was able to spend some time with some really good war fighters from across the pond. Had the Fusiliers from the uh, Scottish Royal Regiment over in the uh, British military. They were over here for the Highland Games that we put on here in the upstate of South Carolina. They were the honored guests. Uh, I had the privilege of driving them around getting to spend some serious time with them, get to know who they were, found out we chewed some of the same dirt and some of the same crappy places around the world. And uh, it's always good to, to meet somebody that, even though you're not from the same place, you've been to the same places and you have the same morals, ideals, and values. So can't speak highly enough about the professionalism and, and the uh, absolute glory that these guys were able to contribute to uh, the Highland Games up here in, at Furman University. We've put it on for about nine years now, uh, and they're always the honored guests. The St. Andrews Society flies them over. Um, we took them around to, to do some really cool stuff. thought it was really funny. They got to do things like drive a half million dollars worth of BMWs up at the BMW Performance Center. 
um, go to some great places like Twin Peaks and be honored at different ceremonies throughout the city, be in parades. But when they were asked, you know, what was your favorite part of the week? About half of them said the moonshine. And just for those who aren't in the know, down here in South Carolina, moonshine is legally made and distilled and sold at a lot of different distilleries. So we've got a place on Main Street down here in Greenville that uh, they were taken to and got to indulge in some adult beverages. Well, when they got asked, you know, what was your favorite part and said moonshine past the BMW thing, I realized I might have needed to help them out. So I called up a, a friend, another veteran, and we brought him some, uh, some good old upstate shine from uh, up in the haulers. And, you know, one of the things I realized is that here in the South, one of the true signs of friendship is giving somebody a little bit of shine that, you know, may not have been made at a legal distillery because it takes a lot of trust and confidence to be able to share it with somebody like that. But, man, those boys, they sure did like their white lightning, and they had a great time. It was a true honor having them out here in the U.S., uh, showing them a good time. And it's uh, amazing to see how much the community stood up to support them. It was it was quite disheartening, though. I, I heard a lot of uh, disparaging stories about their return from overseas, coming back from Afghanistan, and being treated much like our veterans from Vietnam were treated. Uh, they were getting spat on, uh, yelled at, thing, things thrown at them to the point to where they expressed that they couldn't drive their military vehicles out in town anymore to get to, from training base to training base because people were throwing bricks through their windshields. And, you know... As an American society, we've done a great job standing up to help veterans. Uh, one of my main focuses is reiterating those facts, driving home some points, showing veterans that they are loved, they are cared about, and that as long as you can become a good self-advocate, you're going to be successful in your transition out of the military. Whether you haven't made the transition yet, you're in the middle of the transition, or you've successfully come to uh, what seems to be the other side, it's not an easy transition, but we are very thankful that while not every American believes in, in the wars, at least we have a lot of community that stands up and supports the people that are willing to put their lives on the line for those folks. So with that said, I think that's a good way to transition into our post-Memorial Day uh, show that we're that we're kicking off today. I've got some great guests that we're going to have on board. I've got a, a gold star mother named Miss Debbie Witsit, who is a true honor and privilege to, to be able to know her, escort her around to different events. I was able to take her with a, with an army veteran down to the blue star and gold star mothers uh, ball down in Columbia, South Carolina, the Patriots ball two weekends ago. Um, she is just someone that is awe inspiring in the, in the strength and resiliency that, she's had to find in the loss of her son, Jeffrey, uh, who died in Afghanistan. Um, so she is a Gold Star mother. She's actually uh, the president of the Gold Star Mothers here in South Carolina. We'll have her, her here on shortly. But I've got another special guest, uh, Bobby Cox, who is a lieutenant colonel, Army Ranger, uh, well-decorated, four times deployed uh, to different combat zones um, with units, between the 101st Airborne, 82nd Airborne, and 75th Ranger Regiment. True hero, and I've got him on board today so that he can talk about what he sees as the most predominant veteran issues and how he sees change coming, because 
Bobby is running for uh, the House House of Representatives here in South Carolina for uh, for District 21, right, Bobby? So I've got Bobby here. Um, Bobby, thanks for thanks for joining us. I'm really thankful you could you could be here today in person with me. I'm looking forward to some good conversations. Um, Bobby not only is a is a uh, reserve lieutenant colonel uh, in the army still, but he also is one of the guys on the forefront for Sig Sauer helping military and government contracts go down. So we'll be getting to him here and uh, talking about all kinds of the cool things Bobby gets to do, where he sees he's going to make those changes and and uh, what South Carolina will look like once he gets in there and starts really shaking up some feathers. Bobby, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be here. Well, we are going to take this time and uh, talk a little bit about Memorial Day and, and what it's about. Uh, we all know that Veterans Day is the day to honor veterans that have served and are currently serving. Memorial Day is that day to honor those who have made the ultimate sacrifice. I like to extend it out to saying that even some of those who have taken their lives to those invisible wounds um, and become a statistic of suicide here uh, post-war, I I consider those some of the people that I would like to honor on Memorial Day. I, I know that Scrolling through Facebook on Memorial Day is always a tear-jerking event, and I was just reminded of how many brothers I've lost to suicide or alcohol-related incidences that uh, caused death, you know, from a vehicle accident to riding around on boilers or a diving accident. Um, I've lost more guys here in the States to non-combat-related events than than I did overseas, and I I think it's a sad statistic, Um, but... What we can do is we can take a moment and we can realize that Memorial Day is not just about barbecues and drinking beers. People say that all the time. But I would say that it is a good time to drink beers, have some steaks, and think about and honor those guys that we've lost. Because I don't know about you, Bobby, but when I lost brothers, I know that they would be prouder knowing that I'm having a heck of a time getting out there, getting on the boat, drinking some beers, and being being cheerful, maybe a little bit somber, but really not letting the day get the best of me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The, the, the type of guys, and I'm sure you've served with as well, Chad, these guys are, especially the ones that gave their lives for our freedom, are, they don't want us to have this kind of melancholy mood. They want us to enjoy the freedoms that they, they fought dying to protect. And so uh, I, I totally agree. You remember them with a, with a uh, somber re- remembrance, but also you, you take part in the weekend honoring them, and, uh, and they don't want you to, to stay indoors and, and be sad. They want you to enjoy the freedoms that, that they signed up to protect, and so that's definitely, definitely a part of it. Um, a big thing is, like, you know, when I was younger, as a, as a young officer, I, I asked a, um, uh, an old crusty star major, I said, hey, what's the best thing that we can do on Memorial Day? And this guy, he was, he was in the 75th Ranger Regiment, and he said, the best thing we can do is not to forget, and, um, and that's kind of stuck with me. So... As a family, we always get together. I got two young kids, um, eight and five, and they're always asking questions about what it was like in the in the army. You know, you know, the typical questions they say, "Hey, did you ever shoot at anybody?" You know, that that kind of stuff. And so I walk through it, and we we have taken the Memorial Days really just to talk about uh, some of those soldiers that we encountered uh, this past uh, this past week. We talked about a buddy of mine named Tyler Brown uh, that that was died in Iraq back in 2004. 
And so we just talk about their sacrifice and what Memorial Day means. And, and so th that's how we carried on. And we spent Memorial Day just talking about the, the, the memories of those soldiers. Well, I, I'm, I think we're both on the same page with that. And that's why I, I love getting to uh, be around folks on my show that are like-minded. I think that we're going to continue to grow in the listeners that we have based off of our positivity and our intent to create a positive environment for those fellows that are on the verge of transition or in transition or just need a little bit of help even if they're still in. But at this time, what I'd like to do in remembrance of uh, Memorial Day, I, I'd like to take some time and I, I would like to start focusing a little bit on Miss Debbie Witsit, our Gold Star mom that's going to be here today. So uh, Miss Witsit uh, had a father who was a Navy chaplain, and she grew up here in the upstate of South Carolina. She had two sons. Uh, she initially was a double blue star mother. So for those who don't know the significance of blue and gold stars, a blue star is something that parents and families can hang on their windows when they have a, ma a family member that's serving downrange. So those blue stars, that's for a family member that is still with us, still hooking and jabbing, downrange, doing the right things, serving his country, his or her country proudly. But where we get into a little bit more of a, a somber topic is the gold star. So when those family members go downrange, we all know uh, that have been downrange, that there's an array of different things that can take you, um, whether it's IEDs, firefights, um, even mishaps, uh, rollovers of vehicles, uh, crushed between vehicles, things like that. There's, there's many incidences that happen because war is not, a, not an OSHA-safe environment, to say the least. So I'm going to go ahead at this time. Uh, I'd like to bring on Ms. Witsit uh, and, and speak about her son, Jeffrey, who joined the Army <clears throat> and became an Airborne MP, and we lost him at the young age of 21 back on January 13, 2010 to an IED. So at this time, I'd like to bring on Ms. Witsit, uh, who is once again one of our amazing counterparts up here in the upstate that helps us out with uh, making sure that we remember what Gold Star Mothers are all about through her Heroes 5K run that she puts on up at Furman University once a year in remembrance of her son, Jeffrey. So, Miss Witsit, do we have you on? Yes, and Chad, you just said everything I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do apologize for that. But I know I saw you this weekend, but did you have a good Memorial Day? I did. Um, this First of all, I went to the Scottish Games and had a wonderful time meeting excellent people, including some of the men who were here, the soldiers who were here from Scotland. And um, meeting them helped me realize that there are so many more who are fighting for freedom and um, any other country involved, it was um, it was a joy to be there. For Memorial Day, I went to a service at Wood Woodlawn 
cemetery where Jeffrey is buried, and um, it was great to be with veterans who have um, been mainly in Vietnam and um, Korea, and then I met one gentleman who had been in Afghanistan. And um, I I enjoy being with these people because we live such different lives. Um, we love our country, and we we want. So yes, I had a, a meaningful Memorial Day. Thank. Wonderful. Well. I would like to kind of give you a moment, if you would, to talk about Jeffrey so that we can, as a show and with our listener base, pay our respects to you, your sacrifice, and your son's sacrifice. Would you mind telling me a little bit about Jeffrey growing up, what got him into the military, and um, what he did in service? I would love to. Um, I... I would say we were not a patriotic family, um, meaning I did not talk to the boys about uh, joining military or um, being service members. What I taught the boys, because they were both homeschooled till the 10th grade, um, I taught my sons to live their dreams. And what I knew about Jeffrey was from the time he was four years old, he wanted to be an Army guy. And he would talk about being an Army guy. And as Stephen and Jeffrey were growing up, um, we lived on a property that had woods and fields and a lake, and they would spend hours playing in the fields and um, shooting their play guns. And um, every holiday, we would do things like target practice, shooting clothespins on the clothesline. And, you know, um, Jeffrey just, loved anything that had to do with military uniforms and guns and you name it. And um, that continued with him. And while when, when they got to 10th grade, uh, the boys were, they started in the public school system Stephen graduated from Blue Ridge High School, and Jeffrey was at Greenville Tech Charter High. And um, while he was still in high school, when um, because he was he needed to graduate, he joined the delayed entry program with the Army. And so during that final year, he spent all of his extra time building up his strength and eating well and he was on the cross country team and he did everything to build his body up. 
So when he graduated from high school, he um, went ahead and joined the Army, and he enlisted on February the 12th, 2008. And from there, he went to Fort Leonard Wood, uh, got his MOS as military police, and then he went up to, or he went to um, Fort Benning. He became airborne. He was then at Fort Bragg, where he, his friends, he kept all of his high school friends and his church friends but then he was training with his best friends, his best buds at Fort Bragg. And on, in May of 2009, he was deployed with the mighty, mighty Hellraisers, <laughs> the mighty 118 MP. Um, they went to Afghanistan. And he loved it, Chad. Um, everything he did, he put his heart and his soul into. Um, we would hear from him sometimes. And always knew that he was very busy. Um, knowing that he was in the best place for him, he was living his dream. And right. because Stephen was in the Navy and still is, and Jeff was in the Army, so when you talked about the blue flag, the blue stars, we had a flag with two blue stars in our window. And well, then you raised some very patriotic sons, and I know that our nation thanks you for that, uh, as well as the sacrifice that he made. Um, would you mind taking some time to talk about uh, being the president of the Gold Star Mothers here for the South, or South yes. Carolina, I should say, rather? Yes. On January 13, 2010, um, Jeffrey's dad and I had just walked out onto the porch and we were going to eat lunch, and we saw a vehicle come through our our circle driveway, and then it came down the hill the second time and parked, and two military men got out, and we thought that it was a friend of Jeffrey's who had just joined the military, but it wasn't. It was a chaplain and another gentleman coming to tell us that Jeffrey had been killed that morning. Um, he was driver for um, the first platoon um, at his base at, uh, at Logar Province and his vehicle was blown up that morning, and he and his 
uh, Sergeant Daniel Merriweather were killed. And on that day, as the tradition had been started back in World War One, one of my blue flags changed to a gold. One of my blue stars changed to a gold. And on that day, I became the mom, blue star mom, gold star mom. And, um, and that meant that I have an active duty son and I have a son killed in the war. Um, four years ago, I became president of South Carolina Moms and since the war on terrorism began, um, after the 9-11 attack, um, here in South Carolina alone, we have over a hundred Gold Star mothers just from this short period of time. Um, our oldest Gold Star mothers in South Carolina date back to the Vietnam era and um, as there, there's nothing special about me, Chad, that makes me president or even a gold star mother. Um, what I taught my boys is what the Bible says. God knew them before they were conceived. He knows the number of hair on their head. He knows when the end of their days will be. And my boys know, and Jeffrey knew, no matter where he was, when the end of his time came, it, that was it. And it happened that Jeffrey was in Afghanistan. Um, well, ma'am, I, I, yeah. I would just like to interject that I know you personally, and I know that you are you are incredibly humble. But I'd also like to just say how incredibly strong you are, and how much I appreciate the strength and the resiliency that I see in you. Because I see your ability to carry yourself and talk about what happened like this and in private and as we went to the Patriots ball and I know it's not easy. It can't be, I can never imagine what you went through or what you're going through, but I'm so thankful that I was able to meet you and that now you get to help me to see what it truly means to be an inspiration as a gold star mother. And I, I've just got to say from everybody here listening uh, as well as, Everyone in, in the state of South Carolina, thank you so much for what you do to advocate for the Gold Star Moms to set up programs like your Heroes 5K Run as a remembrance and to show other mothers who've lost and are grieving that it's not going to be easy, but there's a way ahead, and that way ahead is is going to be better as you move on day by day 
but I, I would like to say that you, you are truly uh, someone that I know I can look up to, but I would hope that other Gold Star moms who are out there, if they're listening, um, can, can hear you and um, hear your strength so that we can take days like this, as, as this being my Memorial Day show, to honor your son and honor you and really thank you for your family's sacrifice to this nation. Thank you, Chad. And you know what? Um, I want I want everybody to know that Gold Star Mothers are everywhere, and we wear white on purpose. Um, we are we celebrate our sons and daughters. We celebrate their lives, and and they're they're not over. Their lives continue. Their hearts continue. Their love continues, and Yes, I I am so grateful for you all and um and you know, we we gold stars we need prayers and, and encouragement and it's it's organizations like you have and your station, your program that encourages us. So thank you for what you do. And thank you for being my friend. You know that I'm always here for you. All right, ma'am. Well, once again, thank you for being our honored guest today so that we could talk about Jeremy and, and really really talk about what Memorial Day is all about. And uh, it's not just about beer and barbecues, but it's about mm-hmm. remembering and remembering in the best and most festive way possible so that as your boys and gals are looking down, they go, cool. They still remember, <laughs> and they're not hung up on it, and they're they're proud, and they're still moving on and being successful, even in my absence. So, ma'am, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and bid you adieu, but thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you, Chad. You take care, ma'am. Thank you. All right. And just a uh, reminder, if you would like to call in as we have Bobby coming on here shortly, uh, we'll go ahead and open up the, the call line. That line is 646-668-8494. Feel free to call in if you're a constituent out here or you're out here in Bobby's district, have questions, even if you're just a Sig Sauer fan and want to call in and talk about guns. We're about to open it up and uh, change course here. So with that said, uh, I would like to go ahead and open it up. Bobby, thank you so much, man. I know it's it's uh, it's kind of gut-wrenching when you, when you talk to somebody like Debbie, but... I I know her personally, and I can say that uh, while she does still have to live with her son's loss every day, she is just she's such a, a just a, a glowing person. Her she she's just a, a joy to be around, and the way that she carries herself, the way she cares about Gold Star moms, and the way she represents Gold Star mothers, I, I'm, she's an inspiration, man. I totally agree. It's um, you know, and there's a personal connection to all those losses there. You know, it's not just the soldier or the, or the warfighter that passes away. You know, they leave a family. And so um, I'm glad Ms. Whitsitt and all the rest of the uh, Gold Star, Star Mothers are out there are really kind of bringing awareness to that, you know, of the sacrifices. And, and that's why we have Memorial Day. We pause and we remember those sacrifices. Um, you know, and, and for us it's just one day. But for them it's, it's pretty much every day, you know, is a Memorial Day for them that they're, uh, at a table or uh, wherever they are, and there's an empty seat there. So um, I'm so thankful for their efforts just to bring the awareness of the sacrifices that freedom is, is definitely not free, especially this weekend. We can remember that. Absolutely. So 
Bobby, kind of changing gears here. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think it'd be cool. Maybe you want to start out talking a little bit about uh, about Sig Sauer and what you're doing right now, and then we can roll into your connections to South Carolina. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I'm the director of government strategy for Sig, and it's a it's a great company. It's almost like uh, still being in the military. Our workforce, we have about 2,000 workers in the company. And uh, about 30% of them are veterans and, and former law enforcement. So it's almost got a really kind of a paramilitary feel to it where, you know, it's a good team effort. Um, you know, the lingo is kind of the same that you would see in the military, and the mission is very focused on the warfighters. So I do all their business development when it comes to the federal uh, kind of programs that are out there. So the team that I was a part of uh, was the one that was awarded the, um, the new Army pistol contract. So is that the 320? That's right. Yeah, it was a 320 model. Um, but it's uh, it was kind of reformatted for the army for they have, it has a safety on it right. and everything yeah. like that. But um, so that was an immensely proud moment for the company. We found that out about two years ago maybe, and um, so it's great. Five hundred thousand guns. Um, every single soldier that's required will be carrying one down range. There's already two brigades that have them uh, in combat right now, and they're all made in, in the U.S. So we're very proud of that. Um, a lot of the other contracts that, that my team is, is won and, and is involved in is uh, the Secret Service agents contract. So right now, the President of the United States is being made or is being guarded by SIGs that are made here in the U.S. And then, of course, we are kind of our uh, legacy line is being carried by the Navy SEALs team. So 226. That's right. Yep. So 226. And then um, and then we uh, uh, just won the, the Department of Homeland Security contract. So guys who are guarding the border and kind of r- uh, rolling up a lot of folks that shouldn't be here are carrying SIGs with them. And then close to home here, we just uh, we just won the um, uh, Highway uh, South Carolina Highway Patrol that we're carrying our rifles in their vehicles. So, and that's all a part of the efforts that we're doing within the team that I'm a part of, and, and we're very proud of that. So. SIG's mission, even though we have a commercial side and all that, is very focused on the success of the, of the warfighter and their mission to really give them all that they can to uh, really be a part of that. And, and the headquarters is in the U.S. You know, we have a um, heritage of being overseas in Europe, but our CEO and our board really made the effort to move everything to the, to the United States. So all, pretty much 95% of all we have is located, the footprint is in the U.S., and so with that comes the jobs. And all these contracts have been creating great American jobs. We're very proud of that. Hey, man, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, my my first pistol I ever bought was a uh, SIG 2022 9mm. Uh, I knew nine, I watched it. Yeah. Nine years ago, I bought that. I probably put about close to 10,000 rounds through it. And yeah. other than needing a new barrel, I, I mean, she still shoots just as good as the day I bought her. So I, I love it. Now, I was over uh, at uh, at Marsoc whenever they got the new 1911, mm-hmm. right before they switched to the Glock here recently. And uh, I know that one of the big issues is that it was right when Cerakote had kind of come out, and they really over Cerakoted, especially on the on the slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it took uh, it took shooters quite a few rounds to actually break in the gun before they would uh, stop having the you know the the seizing and and the the break in the cycle of operations. So, yeah. what has Sig done to prevent that in uh, in their transition to getting these guns over to the army? Are there uh, is there some QC stuff that's going on to make sure that that's not happening? I know the drop issue is going on, and is that stuff being mended? Yeah, so the drop issue was just the commercial version, which was good. It, it okay. didn't have any issues on the military side, which was which was good. But the um, um, so this program that we have in the Army is very it's a joint program, so all the services are actually going to be using it. So it's it's the Air Force, Navy. 
um, Marine Corps will be actually using this gun now, which is great. So it's essentially the gun for the Department of Defense. So a lot of those lessons learned have been shared throughout, and they've, they've kind of rectified a lot of that. So the testing requirement, the QC requirement, before it even gets into the hands of a warfighter, it's pretty stringent with the amount of rounds it's, it's put through and, and the stoppages and all that. So it has to meet a certain threshold before it even leaves the plant and goes out into the force. And then, of course, the Army and the other services have their own testing period as well. So it's like a double testing where before it even gets out. If that makes sense. So. so one of my favorite things about SIG is that it actually doesn't have a safety. It has that decocking lever on a lot of them. I know I've got a, a, a 229 that had it uh, as, as well as I've got a 220. I love that decocking lever. Yeah. Um, so how did SIG make the adjustment? I know the DOD is, has to have a safety uh, on their weapons if they're going to be used in, in service unless you're in the SOCOM world. Uh, i.e. the Glocks that are being used over at MARSOC and a few other units right now. Yeah. I know those don't, they don't have to have a safety because those, those guys are trigger pullers and, you know, they understand that their finger is their safety. But for the, you know, for the layman soldier that's, you know, uh, that's out there, they, they had to put the, they had to put the safety on. So how do you see that? Has it, has the safety integration gone well in the, in the transition? Yeah. You know, and the reason they did that was just a, the level of training that goes into it. And I mean, as, you know, even for, uh, units like the Ranger Regiment that are that are engaging a lot, um, you know, you just don't use your pistol a lot. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot of it's just the uh, the rifle that you have, and so uh, that's the same way with the conventional forces. You'll find very little uh, pistol engagements, um, and, and mostly it's rifle. So, um, and so a lot of times the units don't get around to training as much with the pistols, and so that's why um, the external safety was a big deal. But, you know, the Beretta that they had previously, the M9 had an external, external, uh, you know, um, safety on it as well. So it's just a training issue. And uh, now that when you transition to that alternate and the secondary weapon, you um, you just have to train going to the safety, you know. So it's just it's a it's a training issue that um, that just needs to be incorporated. And it has been. So. You know, a lot of times we'll send out, we have a training academy that's dedicated at SIG, and so we have these kind of mobile training teams that can go out and train units that they need a little bit more um, heightened kind of uh, awareness when it comes to their to their weapon systems. So, but, uh, yeah, no issues so far with uh, with the external safety on it, you know. Cool. Yeah, so it's uh, it's been it's been well received. It's been great. So. Well, that's great. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about you being out here in South Carolina. Yeah. So, I'm a, you know, I grew up in Texas, but when I got out, I, I ended up, uh, retiring medically and, and moving out this way because I like the mountains and I had a family out here. So are you from South Carolina? Yeah, I am. I grew up here. I was born here. I was born in Spartanburg and then, which is a city here to the east, uh, Sparkle City there, uh, used to be the, was a manufacturing center of really, uh, the area here. And then now I moved over to Traveler's Rest, uh, South Carolina. And I hate to even give the, the name out of those two cities because a lot of people are moving here. I want to keep it kind of our secret. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's growing. yeah, but uh, this great, great towns to grow up in. Um, and then now we live in the Greer area. So we're kind of in the center there. Uh, so I've always been here and, uh, except for the military days. And we just moved back to about three years ago. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, you went to high school, did you play any sports, uh, what what got you from high school to deciding the Citadel and uh, officer career path? Yeah, so, um, you know, really kind of grew up with this service-minded kind of uh, viewpoint of the world. My my dad was a Vietnam vet. He flew Hueys. Cool. So it was an annual event that he would pull out the old-school slide projector, you know, and the, the one-by-one-inch slides, and we'd just go through just his time in Vietnam, the couple years that he served over there. And then my grandfather was a World War II glider pilot. 
And so her stories about him. And so that really kind of implanted this idea of service for the military. And um, really kind of just had that viewpoint in my mind. You know, I did all the typical stuff in high school, you know, uh, played football, uh, played soccer, track, cross country, student government, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, when it came about time to um, to kind of decide what to do, I, I was like, hey, I'm really interested in the service. So I visited the Marine Corps recruiter and the Army recruiter and, and scoped out the um, service academies. But I was kind of unsure if I definitely wanted to go into the service. So mm-hmm. uh, the Citadel was a great aspect of testing that desire to serve. Um, and I was actually reading a book about the Citadel uh, called The Lords of Discipline. It's a uh, a book by uh, Pat Conroy, who lives in the southeast. And so that kind of pushed me towards doing that. And uh, so I decided to go test out that desire of the Citadel. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So got done with the Citadel, went in as an infantry officer. What was your first What was your first duty station or, uh, or unit that you were with? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, so at the Citadel, you know, only about 30% of the, of the people on top end really go in to the service. And so uh, my senior year was uh, – 2001, 2002, to kind of give my age away there, but uh, um, that's when the 9-11 terrorist attacks happened, and so uh, that that really solidified my desire to go into the Army, um, and so I knew that, uh, and, I, and I say this a lot, I knew that good men and women were going in the harm's way, and I, I felt kind of the burden to go along with them and delete them if, if given the chance, and so I joined the Army, and, uh, you know, you always want, especially the Citadel, it kind of breeds this kind of like, hey, you should do take on as much leadership opportunity as possible. And I saw that, those opportunities in the infantry. Yeah. So I became an infantry officer, um, went down to training at Fort Benning, was in, went to Airborne School, Ranger School. Those are all the typical infantry officers, uh, training path, path line, pathway. And then I went into uh, the 101st Airborne Division, Air Assault, out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And they were initially going into, into Iraq. And so that was my first duty assignment as a young second lieutenant platoon leader. It was great. How old were you then? I was uh, 23, 23 wow. at the time. Yeah, that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it was, and uh, and I tell and I tell people, you know, what was it like and everything. And so, you know, the typical uh, conventional war that you go over the berm in Kuwait, there you sweep through. It's you know, it's tank on tank, soldiers and against soldiers type thing. But once we had kind of um, over overwhelmed uh, the Iraqi forces there, we we started to transition to stability operations, and that's when a lot of the training we had been prepared for. So you have me and this platoon of 40 guys, and we are in charge of miles and miles of real estate, and we're th- doing things like setting up wells. We're, uh, we're, we're planning local elections to elect people to send down to Mosul and then Baghdad. We're, uh, I'm, I'm, I was vetting teachers to teach, you know, Iraqis. Um, you know, we're guarding the border on the Syrian border for, uh, for people bringing over IEDs. And so yeah. then we're training folks. So it's kind of like, the burden of, of all this uh, really standing up this country fell upon these young kids of 18 to 30-something to really stand up this country. So it was, a, it was an incredible responsibility and experience. So I, I definitely agree with that, man. My time my time over there, saw a lot of the same stuff. Uh, a government that was trying to get on its feet and try and stand on its own, which it didn't do very well uh, in our absence, but... You know, he did. It was it was it was a pretty wild time over there. I know it's crazy because as a veteran, when you go downrange, you kind of get this superiority complex because you own the roads, you own the land. Anybody encroaches on you within a certain amount of space, you have you know the right to self protect or or protect any local assets that need to be protected. 
And so I was a mobile infantry guy. So we were driving around all the time doing long-range desert interdiction ops, rolling around with tanks to our flanks and stuff like that. So it sounds like we did, did a lot of the same stuff. When, when it comes to Iraq and the locations you were at, uh, did you ever go out to Al Anbar, anywhere out there? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I did uh, one deployment out in um, Ramadi and Fallujah. Okay. What year was that? Uh, that was '04. Okay. Wow. And yeah. The real, the real stuff. Yeah, it was uh, it was high intensity, and then um, and then didn't a lot of the, a lot of time in Mosul and a lot of time in Baghdad. So it was okay. it was pretty much all the, the main three spots there, you know, that, that you would think of within the country. So. I got medevac to Baghdad in like '08 or so. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's nice. I got a little just quick flight in, see the sights, yeah. know, go to the hospital, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But uh, well, I, I remember flying over uh, Baghdad the first time at, at night, and we were in a you know Chinook like you usually yeah, go in at yeah. nighttime, and and I I just remember seeing the the magnitude of the city yep. and uh, and thinking how can we ever find anybody in this? And those palaces, seriously. I mean, they're so. I mean, I I don't. It's hard to describe them. I mean, they're so awe inspiring and in how large they are. And I mean, they've been there forever and. You know, you realize that this, these people, they're sitting here and they're destroying their own country. I mean, the infrastructure, they're destroying the roads. I mean, I remember they blew the uh, they blew the bridge up and hit, uh, which is like kind of north of Ramadi on the yeah. Euphrates. Yeah. They blew that thing up. I mean, obviously, it might not have been a, a an actual local Iraqi citizen. They had a lot of, you know, and that's the reason we call them insurgents. They came over to fight. I think one of the most prudent statements I ever heard, I, you know, I was speaking with one of my favorite captains that I ever had. He was my company commander. And we were sitting there talking and this is, you know, in the buildup of ISIS and seeing them take Missoul and, and looking at it. And I said, you know, sir, does it ever bug you that we spent so much time, energy, lives to go over there and, and try and make these changes and it went away so quick? And, you know, what he said really resonated. It was, well, there's there is something that has come out in the wash during all of this. What we've been able to do is we've opened up a swath of open desert where anybody who has disdain for America can come and slug it out, get try and get their piece of the pie, but they're not on U.S. soil. They're not because they know that, you know, coming over from Mali or Libya or Syria or Jordan or uh Yemen, wherever, wherever these, I mean, heck, even the, uh, the Southeast Pacific was, was a hotbed down in the Philippines and the Moro Islands. Um, I was there in 2010. There's, uh, you know, the, the Islamic buildup was not just isolated to Iraq and Afghanistan, but his point that we were able to draw those folks that wanted to get a piece of action over and in a place that wasn't on U.S. soil, didn't cost U.S. civilian casualty lives, and I, I you know, I, I kind of think it's a prudent statement, and we need to take that into consideration. I mean, this could be, we've had attacks on U.S. soil, we've had attacks in, in London, Paris, everywhere else, but we've, we've kind of got ourselves isolated, and we've been very fortunate. So, um, you know, with that said, we'll, we'll kind of roll into uh, wh where you're at now. So you did four deployments, yeah. and... Uh, you got through quite a bit, it sounds like, and then you decided to go to the reserve side. So, yeah. uh, talk to me about how how that kind of came about. Yeah. So, um, 
uh, deployed with some great units, um, like you said, 101st, and then uh, went with the Ranger Regiment for a couple of tours as a uh, platoon leader there, and then uh, was a company commander in the 82nd Airborne Division for a final deployment, wow. and um, it was just a great opportunity, just great, great guys, and I always point back to the, to the success I had because of the, just the, you know, the, the great NCOs and, and people that kind of stood me up, you know, I mean, I would... You know, I just knew to harness the talent of these units and, and really just uh, kind of point them in the right direction. So it was just it was just great. And then so was picked up to do a great uh, kind of broadening assignment, as they call it. I was selected to, to do a fellowship up in Washington, D.C., and I was stationed at the, the Pentagon. And uh, it was actually a congressional, Army Congressional Fellowship, where you serve on the Hill, you advise Congress on issues facing veterans, facing uh, defense, facing uh, homeland security, intelligence, and you're supposed to give them a grounds eye view uh, of what a soldier, a Marine, all those guys are going through so they can make prudent decisions about bu- bu- uh, budgeting, uh, tactics, strategy, all that kind of stuff. So you bring a real-life experience to that. So I did that for a year, and then I went to the Pentagon and, and served two years there, and my portfolio was small arms. They give you a portfolio of what you cover down on to make sure um, you know uh, soldiers are getting the right equipment. And so uh, I was I was given the portfolio of small arms, uh, body armor, uniforms, anything soldier carried re- related, and it was and it was the most coveted portfolio among among all of us because you know it's just uh, as you would think it's just a really neat uh, portfolio. Well, so, you get to pick the new toys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you travel around and, and you just get to get input from soldiers and every, everyone. So and that's how I got tied into the SIG actually. So okay, I, cool. Yeah. So I visited all the small arms manufacturers in, in the country, you know, you know all, the, all the big ones that you would think of, and SIG was one of them. I got, and I just hit it off with them and stayed in touch, and the culture jived with, with what we were doing and, and myself. And so that's, that's the transition of how that happened, which was great. So, Well, as a, as a family man, uh, it seems like you've got a lot of responsibility on your plate. How, I mean, Every time I see you, you got a smile on your face, you know, driven, you know exactly what you're doing. I mean, how do you how do you juggle all this stuff and and stay successful as you are? Yeah, so um uh, two two words, uh, it's a big secret. Okay, it's uh, it's my wife. I'll tell you that. Oh, right. wow. I, yeah, hopefully she's listening. I'm giving her a shout yeah, out. Yeah, give her a shout out. Yeah, but yesterday we just we just celebrated 14 years and she is I Congratulations. Mean, thank you very much. I mean, she is a um just an incredible woman. You know, we dated in college and and was, she was there the entire time I was in the service, you know, through four deployments, you know, right before uh, the deployment with the 82nd, just like all a lot of service members during that time, we found our, we, we were pregnant. Well, I say we, but she was pregnant right before a year-long deployment with our first one. And we're like, oh, man, you know, that's, it's, uh, you know, that's crazy knowing that I'm going away for a year. But uh, fortunately, I was able to come back during the, uh, the R&R period and, and actually at the nine-month mark and see, see my daughter Reagan born and then had to go back for another three years. And so she was just uh, immensely uh, supportive, and, you know, self-sufficient, and just really it's so uh, um, encouraging for, for whatever we want to do. And we, you know, we pray a lot. We're, we're very church-focused with our lives and everything and the raising of our kids, and, we're, and we just really identify our family lifestyle with service. And so whatever we do, we kind of have the, are on this path together, pointing towards you know betterment of things wherever we are, whether it's in our community, our kids' life, church, relationships that we have. That's the mentality we have, and so we really feel like we're still a part of this mission, even though we've left active duty. You know, so yeah. Wow. So 
I guess that's kind of a great way to lead us into you running for office. Oh, yeah. So uh, as we have our listeners, I just want to recommend that if you want to call in, if you have any questions, if you want to ask Bobby some questions, 646-668-8494. And those lines will be open until we conclude the show. We will be taking callers as we continue with the Military Hour with Chad Wooten and my special guest, Bobby Cox, Army Ranger, Lieutenant Colonel, and soon-to-be South Carolina House Representative, hopefully. That's right. So you saw an issue. You saw issues going on in the state, and as you've done with all of your career, you said, I want to fix something. Mm -hmm. What drove you to want to run? So it wasn't... um you know, I didn't have this five, ten, fifteen-year time period when it came to, to politics. You know, it was just something that kind of, kind of fell upon us um, because it is a team effort. It's really family, family effort, um, as we've learned through the campaign season here that we all got to be in. But after moving back home here from the military, I, I really kind of felt the burden to change the culture, really, of our state government. Um, you know, we really have a trust issue with our elected officials here in, here in Columbia, our state capital. Um, and there's really a lack of, of integrity in really how politicians serve. And it's really created this culture that doesn't really reflect the values of, of our everyday, uh, of everyday South Carolinians really. And so this, this culture has really resulted in things like higher taxes and wasteful spending and kind of this acceptance of, of basic corruption. So I really felt that too much was at stake to really maintain this kind of status quo. You know, so, you know, we're used to a, the military and the Citadel, you know, is, is people living by a creed and, and really a higher ethical conduct with value-based leadership. And our elected officials aren't really, you know, being held to that standard, which I think they should because of the importance they have with them. And so I view our elected officials almost like service members. They should be inspiring and courageous and taking on the problems of our state government instead of actually being the problems of that. Right. Be above reproach. Yeah. You know, don't just complain, create solutions. Yeah. That's something we... We uh, strive for whenever we go into a meeting, you know, because when we go into a meeting, we're talking about lives on the line, even if it's a training evolution. So yeah, yeah. I think that uh, that that creates a, a, a really good bond between service outside of the military and, and where you're trying to go. So yeah. you're running against someone uh, who is the incumbent. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so what is it that you want to do different? So, um you know, to change the culture of an organization, um, you really have to change the people. And so, you know, I, you know, I don't want to be a career politician. You know, I believe elected office is a season of service where you bring fresh new ideas, your experiences to tackle those problems, and then you go back home. It's almost like a military summit. Yeah. So there are too many people that really have lost touch with their constituents, and, and my opponent is one of them. Um, you know, so that's, that's, that's why we need to change her out and a lot of the other of folks out because they just get numb to what's going on and really focus on the special interests and the things going on in Columbia as opposed to the really the ground root, grassroots needs of, of their constituents, you know, that are pushing the state forward. So so what's her name? Or is it a her? Yeah, it's a her, yes. Yeah, okay. Her name's Phyllis Henderson. Phyllis Henderson, all right. Yeah, been in this position for a while, and like I said, nothing against her personally, uh, but, but she, when I'm sitting in multiple living rooms throughout the district and people say, I've reached out to her with a problem, and, and her basic response is this is the way it's always been there's no change in the culture and that's that's when it's time to go sounds like a lame duck it yeah there's just no fire in the belly to change those things that's that's unacceptable yeah. i would hope 
I would hope so much more out of anybody that was trying to represent someone, a culture, whether it's in political office or in the nonprofit world or otherwise. I think that if you start to lose your, your moral, well, if your moral compass starts to get a bad azimuth, yeah, you need to be uh, get a new declination mm-hmm. and and, uh, and get back up on it. So, yeah. uh, when you get down to Columbia, what are you what are you hoping to change? So, uh, like I said, uh, you know, I don't want to be a career politician, and mm-hmm. so I'm kind of putting my money where my mouth is. I really want to bring term limits down there. Um, I like that, yeah, which is a big deal. So I've already term limited myself to eight years because all that, yeah. You, it's human nature. You get down there and you kind of lose your way, like we've seen with with the incumbent here and a lot of other folks that've been down there for too long. Um, but I also want to give my legislative salary back to veterans organizations. Oh, wow. Yeah, So, because uh, that's just a big um, issue for me. And, you know, I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, and how I announced my candidacy as well. Yeah, didn't you uh, didn't you come and jump in? You parachuted in, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah. No big deal. Just, uh, hey, what's up? I want to run for office. I'm going <laughs> to jump from a couple thousand feet. And, uh, hey, what's up? I'm here to party. That's right, yeah. So, uh <laughs> So I did it during Veterans Day weekend, That's awesome. and I wanted to dedicate it to veterans and their families. But to do that, you got to do some something with some tenacity. That's you know? it. So I, d- I jumped out of plane and um, and skydived in and kept it a surprise until the very end there, and then landed. And I really just wanted to use the dad joke of uh, I'm jumping into politics. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah but uh, it was it was well received, and and really it was symbolic because I wanted to honor service members and their family. But I really wanted to show people kind of the. Um, the boldness I would bring in taking on the problems of the state government. You know, right. like I'm serious. Like I'll jump out of a perfectly good airplane. I've faced the enemies of our country, and now it's time to face the problems of our state because too much is at stake to keep doing the same old, same old. And that's the message that has really resonated throughout the entire district is that we have seen what we've done with career politicians, and uh, we have the same problems. And that's the constant. We have all these issues, and the constant is the same people we keep sending to represent us over and over. And it's time for a change. It is. So uh, now, are you running as a reform candidate? Are you running, uh, who's your party and who do you have supporting you? And and who's been your key uh, key players in the game as you've moved forward with this? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Republican primary. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm running as a Republican, uh, really. And and nowadays, which is sad, you have to say you're a conservative Republican, you know, because. uh, in a state that's dominated by Republicans, um, there's, a, there's a very kind of big uh, funnel there. So you have to say, hey, I'm, I'm a conservative Republican. That's what I'm running as. Okay. I tell you that the, the network and the support that I've gotten has really been from veterans. Uh, the Citadel network has been incredible. Uh, and really just basic folks that, um, that want something new. So, I mean, I've hit probably 2,000, 3,000 doors. I'm losing count now. But it's like – and there's just – I tell people my background, I tell them what I want to do, and they're like, we need this. Yeah. We need this. And so it's just like, it's just an awareness thing. It's like, we can do better. Yeah. You know, we don't have to settle for this. And people tell me, well, what can one man do? And I'm like, I was like, guys, I've seen what one man and one woman can do. That's right. Overseas. It, it is incredible. And and it is, and it's got to start somewhere. And I say, why not let it start right here in District 21 in Greenville, uh, South Carolina area, to change that the dynamic and the future of our state. And people, that's resonating, really is. Well, that's great. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people forget how important it is to still look back at your, your state representatives and your state house and your state government. We all, we're always looking at D.C. now. It's so turned into a media game. You know, senators and congressmen are just looking for their little soundbite to get on the news. Yeah. Um, 
Has, have you run into a lot of the same experiences here uh, at the state level? And what, what can you say to anybody from any state about how to get involved with their state policies so that we can start from the ground up? Yeah. So um, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we have a, a gubernatorial race going on right now. We have a big congressional race going. So a lot of people focus on those bigger races, and, and rightly so. They're, they're important. But a lot of times we overlook who we're sending to represent us to the state house or state senate or whatever dynamic you have in your state legislature. Um, and those positions are immensely important because they set things like state taxes and infrastructure and education. And so by us not paying attention, we get these folks that are flying under the radar and then they become entrenched and they're not the best folks to represent us. And so we really got to pay attention. You know, I'm out and about and I'm just, it really is just an education thing of saying, hey, I'm running for state house. This is what state house does. This is what the incumbent's been doing. You know, we can do better. And so it's just an awareness thing. So I would really recommend that people do their research, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it, I hate going into a, a polling booth and voting and be like, I don't know who either of these people are or who these people are, you know? Right. So I've always tried to do research and I really encourage people to do it as well, to be like, what do they stand for? You know, and right. reach out to them um, on the state level. For our positions, that I'm, that the one I'm trying to run for, they should be totally accessible. And so you should be able to reach out to them through email or phone call because the district that we'll represent is 38,000 people. Um, and the sad part is about 18 are, are registered to vote, and during a midterm election, only about 4,000 will vote. Wow. So, you know, it's like, hey, we got, if you want to set the course differently, you got to get involved. Really right. Do. So, yeah, and those state positions are, are immensely important to do that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, on, on this show, we like to focus on strengths and pushing through veterans' issues and uh, resiliency is, is one, of my, one of my big points that I continue to hit. What kind of struggles have you personally dealt with or seen uh, veterans struggling with that have hit home, that have kind of changed maybe the way you approach a topic or, or want to make a change? Yeah, so um, I was fortunate in the fact that instead of leaving right from the deployment and transitioning out, I almost worked in a, I wouldn't say a corporate environment in the, in the military, but it was it was non-tactical. Right. You know? So I had to adjust my lingo and the way I talked to, to interact with all these different types of people in Washington, D.C., and at the Pentagon, and, you know, Department of Defense. So I had kind of a two-year kind of window where I was kind of transitioning to the civilian world, but a lot of these a lot of our service members go right from the deployment and, and they get out. So there is a there is an adjustment period. And so what I've seen with a lot of a lot of warriors coming back to the upstate here is that they're they're hard workers. They're some of the greatest individuals that have walked this earth, but they can't translate their experiences into the civilian sector. You know, like hey, I'm a saw gunner. You know, people don't know what that means, but just the responsibility that's placed on them, they're just not able to kind of translate into how they can be. Uh, you know, productive kind of integral part of any kind of business. So the big thing is that's the thing I've seen is just folks kind of transitioning and translating that into how it could be. And the big thing is uh, mentoring. So, um, you know, that's that's one of the efforts that I've been involved in here is that we tie in to get a mentor. We do it in the military where we seek out these mentors to grow us and give us advice on how to uh, progress in, in, the, in our service. And that's the same way in the civilian world uh, is to find that mentor, whether it be prior service or somebody else, that can talk 
through and you can ask them why is the sky blue questions when it comes to this job or whatever right. and they're and they're and it's just almost like an open time to where you're like hey i need some help and you just walk them through what it means to be and so we've been pairing up a lot of warriors whether it's through rotary or through the, the local business school we have here or you know some of the mach, you know, machine manufacturing jobs we have we've been plugging in these guys who uh, younger younger guys and guys are they're coming back and we're just we're offering them mentorship. So that's kind of answering that need to the big demand that we've seen. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I'm most proud of and what I get to do. You know, I've I've spoken on the show before about that I was lost for a long time when I first got out. I'm still very fresh to transitioning out. I just got out last year. Uh so you know, the transition is not easy. I, I think going from warrior to wanderer uh, and finding your new drive and purpose and motivation is something that nothing can really prepare you for. So it's important for people like you and the organizations that you and I both affiliate ourselves with to be there and understand the veterans' issues, dilemma, and stressors that they might be dealing with, not only at certain junctions of their transition, but also as they move forward, connecting them to the right people, getting them to the VA at the right time, because timing is a lot of what our organization does in getting people because if you're not willing to accept the help that we're able to afford you, it's it's not going to be successful. So it's a lot about timing. It's a lot about mentorship, and it's a lot about them knowing that there's somebody out there that that's willing to support them, and they're they're not alone in this transition or their struggle. So once again, you know, as always, if if you are going through a tough time and you're struggling, reach out. Go talk to somebody, whether it's the VA, someone you trust, uh, someone in your church, a family member, call another warrior that you deployed with, but don't allow yourself to become a statistic. Next Memorial Day, you shouldn't have your friends thinking about you because you lost the fight at home to uh, to some suicidal ideations or anything like that. So stay strong. Uh, and that's, that's, once again, pointing back to that resiliency thing. So as we go forward with this, uh, if somebody was on the fence thinking about you, I, I think I've learned a lot about you today. If somebody's on the fence about you and they're in your voting district, uh, what should they know? Well, I think, um, you know, if they've listened to the whole program, they kind of got a sense of, of where I'm coming from, that um, I'm very service-oriented. And so if someone's on the fence, uh, you know, there are some major issues facing our state um, but if someone's, you know, thinking about, hey, should I vote for this person or the incumbent, just know that they'll have a principal leader when it comes to me. Um, I'll, I'll be able to see what you, you know, what you see is what you get type of mentality. Uh, you know, we may not always agree, but I will always shoot you straight. And I and, and I am used to working the hours it needs to make a difference. Um, I mean, as anyone knows, on deployments or anything else, we are working 24-7. I mean, and you just rest a little bit, and that's it. So that's that's the mentality that I'll bring to tackle in the big issues of our state because we are very comfortable with the problems that we have, and what we need is a courageous, fire-in-the-belly type leadership that's valued-based to really take on the issues. And so uh, if someone's on the fence, they just need to know that um, that they'll have that in me, and uh, and I'll be there for them. Cool. Well, we're getting close to time to wrap up. Um, I'd like to ask one more question. As a uh, proud Sig Sauer owner, what's your what's your uh, favorite pistol and what's your favorite uh, EDC pistol that, that y'all have? So um, 
good question. That's a good one to end on here. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so my um, my favorite pistol, I tell you, is the uh, is the Legion 226. I like that okay. one a lot. It's a good feel. Yep. Um, I like it. I like it. I don't even want to shoot it because it's just got a good, almost like pristine look to it. I was carrying the uh, from my everyday carry. Uh, I was uh, carrying the P320 compact with an RX Romeo sight on top. Um, but now I've, I'm transitioned to the P, you know, not to plug it or anything, but the P365. Uh, so, okay. yeah, which is great. It's smaller. It's, um, you know, it's still got that same round capacity, and it, but it, it, it's just great. So uh, I, I kind of know a guy that works there, so I get a pretty good discount. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, um, yeah, I'm just fortunate to work there, and, and uh, it's, it's almost like I'm still in the Army. You yeah, know? you were telling me before you get almost more range time working for them than you did while you're in service. Yeah, this is a, probably the best kept secret is that I, I do I've done probably more shooting in this job than a lot of my army jobs. So <laughs> and it's uh, and then it's great without all the pain that goes into a range at the military. You know. That's yeah, it. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, hey guys, if you're interested in a strong, competent leader and you're in District 21 out here in South Carolina, give Bobby Cox your vote. Uh, I know I, I sure support him in everything and anything he does, and uh, I hope you know that if there's anything that um, I can do for you, my organizations can do for you here at Upstate Warrior Solution uh, in the community. Uh, I know I'll be out there helping you out on, on voting day, uh, but let's let's see what we can't do to get you up there, and let's start making some change. I, you know, I know we'll just leave Washington, D.C. out of this conversation because <laughs> that could go into another whole program, but uh, – Really appreciate not only your service, but your time and your commitment to what you're doing. Uh, it's an honor to know you. You're a great guy. Uh, I can tell you from, on a personal level that I always love when you're in the office and I, I get to see you out and about because uh, you've got to you carry yourself well. I would be honored to have you in in the South Carolina House serving serving the vets, serving the people, and making a change because uh, a lot of us are disenfranchised with things that are going on, but. You can gripe all you want, but if you're not getting involved in the local level communities or writing your congressman or your senator to try and make a change, you're just griping and you're not making a difference. So stand up, stand up for your beliefs, whatever they are, right, left, center, doesn't matter, but stand up and do something. Don't just post it on social media. Do what you need to do as a citizen to tell your country how you want it run, because that is our obligation as citizens of a free country. We have the ability to interject and instill our beliefs, our values into whatever government, whether it's city, uh, state, or all the way up to the national level, we have the ability to step up and say something as a citizens of the United States. And I'm proud to say that we are uh, a great nation who have a lot of great servicemen and women who have laid their lives down and given the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be here and we can have open conversations and talk about real issues and hopefully learn from our past mistakes and move forward in a more productive and successful manner. With that said, uh, we're going to get close to wrapping it up. I would like to take a moment to talk about something that's going on out here in the local community. We've got a great guy. He was a Blue Angels pilot, another Citadel graduate. He, uh, Don Kuntz, He's been running a program for the Old Hickory Division, the 30th Infantry Division, uh, which 100 years ago, coming up soon, broke through the Hindenburg Line in World War One, broke through the German defensive network on the Western Front, and they were able to secure victory for the Allies by breaking through that Hindenburg Line. 
they were trained right here in the upstate of South Carolina and the low the low side of North Carolina. Uh, they were a hodgepodge unit that was put together through draft and a little bit of uh, volunteering. They came together. They trained here uh, at uh, Camp Severe in in South Carolina as well as some places here in North Carolina. And they're a unit that Don Kuntz has done a great job standing up uh, and commemorating uh, the whole year we'll be wearing our our pins the poppy uh, which is the symbol of uh, remembrance for those who have fallen and given their given their lives and sacrifice uh, of foreign wars uh, so I've had the been able to be with him this weekend with those fusiliers up at the Highland Games we've been putting poppies all over the place we're going to be having some events here in Greenville that are going to be great to really look into what's going on and, and how these, these folks looked. We had some reenactors out there this weekend that did a phenomenal job knowing their history, pushing out the info, and uh, once again, just something great that our local community is stepping up to do to honor those that have done something for our country. So thank you, Don Coons, for everything you're doing. Remember Old Hickory, and that will be a continued push uh, going on for the rest of the year. Um, and as we close out, thank you to all our listeners once again, all around the world, no matter where you're at. If you're overseas, thank you for being at the tip of the spear to defend our great nation. If you are at home and you're struggling, reach out, call someone. If you are a veteran in transition, there are resources. Get out there. Go do things. Go surfing with Warrior Surf Foundation down here at Folly Beach in South Carolina. Go up and go on a rafting trip. Go out. Go fishing with Project Healing Waters and, and get out and about and catch some fish and gain some camaraderie with other fellows. If you have a physical ailment or a mental ailment that precludes you from doing a lot of things, there's adaptive sports programs. Get out there. Go ski. Go golfing. Go kayaking. Get out there, boys and gals. Do whatever you can. It'll keep you sane. It'll keep you motivated. It'll make you feel better physically and mentally. And stay strong. I look forward to hearing any comments that y'all have. Uh, if you want to put them on the on our blog site, that's uh, going to be at iHeartRadio.com as well as the Lions Radio Network with the Military Hour with Chad Wooten. Don't forget, you can also find us on iTunes, and you can always go back and reference this interview as well as any of my other shows that we've done on the Lions Radio Network, once again with Chad Wooten on the Military Hour. Thank you, everyone. Happy late Memorial Day. Stay safe out there, and God bless. <laughs>